Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vikings Happy Hour. Tonight, Arif Hassan of The Athletic joins us to recap the Vikings in the NFL draft. So make sure you grab your beverage and stick around for the show. Welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Vikings Happy Hour. Tonight, like I said in the pre-show, uh, we're joined by Arif Hassan of The Athletic. Arif, I feel like we've been trying to get this to work for a while, um, right, and I'm yeah. glad I'm glad we could finally settle on a date. How are you? Um, I'm sure I'm life is not going down. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been a busy week and I've got, uh, some, some pack schedules up ahead too, but, uh, no, I mean, it, it's, it's been good. I love doing this stuff. love covering the draft. I was able to, to do a, a film session with the rest of the, the media, um, with Kevin O'Connell and Quasi um, Adolfo Mensa at the Viking facility. And so it kind of feels reinvigorating, right. Just to have people like explain like the whole yeah. thought process to you. I loved it. So hopefully I can share some of those insights. That would be awesome. Um, I have to ask, did that happen with Rick and Zim? Did they do stuff like that? A little bit. It, they cut it back, you know, obviously because of the pandemic. And so some of that happened over Zoom. It was a little bit less uh, informative. And then um, I think as time had went on, the film sessions were, I think, a little bit more closer to the vest. And we'll see if that happens with, with this group. But, uh, you know, initially it was, it, was, it was pretty good, but I had not been established enough at that time to, to join the first couple of film sessions. I heard really good things about those. And then uh, after that, I mean, there, there's some pretty good moments and, and some things that you learn about the Vikings process that was really, you know, interesting. And obviously a lot of the staff is the same. So, so a lot of that yeah. is kind of will hold over into this one, but um, no, it was, it was great. You know, Zim and Spielman did do it, but they, they just couldn't over the past couple of years. Uh, and so having it in person in the Vikings draft room uh, just felt uh I mean, honestly, it was really cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love to just be a fly on the wall um, and listen to some of those, um, you know, just explanations of, of kind of like what you said, what they see in those players. So hopefully we can talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, joined, as usual, by my co-host, Ryan Ortega, uh, fresh off, you know, a live draft show last week, a whole weekend coverage for Climbing the Pocket. Um, so thank you for everyone who joined that. Ryan. Are you are you rested? Do you feel ready to to hit the ground running for post draft NFL Viking talk? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. We we just got done with the draft, and now I'm going getting into my son's baseball season, so that's ramping up. So you know, it never really slows down here uh, at the Ortega household. But you know, what <laughs> does help is drinking this insanity pale ale from Lake Monster because it's delicious. Oh yes, of course. I don't. I am not drinking tonight. I I had enough beer at the live show last Friday night to <laughs> last me for a lifetime. So I'll take it easy this week. And you can see, 
all the U-Haul boxes behind me were getting ready to move out. So need to just be level-headed here. Dave, I saw I saw you pour a beer. How are you doing tonight, and, and what are you drinking? I'm doing good. I'm drinking uh, Carbach, local brew, Hop Dilla. Um, okay. Matt Wang, the brewmeister at Lake Monster, uh, has recommended some of the local brews here for me. Since there I cannot go. go down and grab my own Lake Monster to stock up my fridge, I would have loved to have tried that uh, Norseman Red Ale that he. Yeah, it was pretty good. The there might, show. if if you're in the Twin Cities area, there might be some left over. Um, if you want to swing by on these beautiful Minnesota spring days that are upon us now, so and also speaking of Lake Monster, um, they have a new beer out too. Uh, we've heard about Rare Species number one, but Rare Species 2.0 is out as well. It's the second edition of their rotating hop series. Um, and you can find it on tap in crawlers to go and even some four packs at your local liquor store. So um, if you want to check that out, I hear it's great. I have not had it quite yet, uh, but you can do that as well. So let's dive into the, the elephant in the room. It's the draft just was completed last week, um, fresh off a couple of days. And Arif, I actually want to talk, touch a little bit on your uh, your recent recently released article on The Athletic where you kind of laid out the depth chart, and we can kind of plug that in as we talk about these prospects. But what were your overarching thoughts on the NFL draft for the Vikings, or just as a whole? Sure, yeah. No, I think that the, the Vikings – um, I understand kind of the, the the trades that they made and and you know the decision to go down to what they thought was the sweet spot in the draft. There's some evidence, you know, analytically speaking, that suggests that that's actually a pretty good value spot um, in the draft. You know, you kind of want to draft at the top or in the middle of the the first round, the second round bridge. It's kind of the middle of the first round that becomes kind of dangerous, and the Vikings traded out of that. So, I understand the thought process there. I thought that. You know, from a market perspective, they didn't get um, what they should have gotten from the Lions trade. I think from an analytics perspective, you can say that they still improved the team more by trading than from picking there. So I, I, I'm sympathetic to both perspectives there. And then the players that they grabbed, you know, the, the first two picks I thought were really excellent picks. I was a pretty big fan of, of scene coming out. I didn't really think that the Vikings would draft a safety unless Kyle Hamilton fell, which, you know, he did, but they didn't grab him. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and so I didn't really do a ton of homework on the other safeties, but I thought scene was maybe my second favorite after that. And lo and behold, that's who they grabbed. Uh, and then, um, obviously, I was doing a lot of homework on the cornerbacks. And honestly, I kind of liked almost all of them. I thought that, you know, uh, you know, first-round pick like Kyrie Elam was going to take a little bit longer to get online because he had all the tools. But there's just something about his his movement skills that just weren't translating um, that you saw in his workouts but you didn't see on the field. And so I was kind of worried that they might pick him, even though I like him a lot. Um, but they ended up grabbing, you know, a first-round corner in the second in in Booth that I, that I happened to like. Um, you know, Ed Ingram, that's a, that's a huge conversation. Um, I've had a bunch of those kinds of conversations, both, um, recorded like on, on the Norse code podcast that you can check out. Um, and, uh, just kind of with the other beat reporters about kind of covering that from an off the field perspective on the field perspective, I didn't think it was actually wonderful value either. Um, and so I've got a, a couple of issues with that, although, um, the Vikings were able to kind of explain on the field, kind of what they saw in him and what they liked about him. And so that kind of eases my mind a little bit from an on the field perspective, Asamoah, I totally understand the pick. Um, I don't uh, think that that is a wonderful pick at linebacker, but I understand that he's primarily going to be a special teams guy at first anyway. I I can see you shaking your head, Ryan. I get it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, But 
you know, with those, with that as the first day, I thought that that gives the Vikings probably a, a BB plus something along those lines. If you wanted to put a letter grade to it, I'm not an enormous fan of letter grades because they hide a lot of context, but it's also a very easy way to communicate what you're thinking. And then day three, I don't know. Um, I didn't love day three, but also <laughs> if I'm going to pick a day to dislike, you know, that's the one like good job screwing up day three. If you're going to screw up a day, do that one. That one matters yeah. at least. So, um, you know, some of those picks I'm, I'm not feeling, um, but you know, who cares? Right. Uh, so, yeah. um, yeah, I, I thought that there was, uh, some really good value and I thought it seems like the Vikings probably nailed those first two picks and that's where you want to be. Right. Um, if you're going to pick two picks to get value out of having those first two picks be those picks, good move. Well, what's interesting about all of that too is I, I look at this draft. I look, I look at that trade, right? And everyone was upset about that trade uh, night one, right? They, we didn't get enough value, what have you. And I, I looked at it and I said, you know, I, I do like the trade because we're going to have an opportunity. I mean, people say you didn't get an additional first. I get it. We were two picks away from an additional first, right? Like you're basically you're not a first round pick, but like you're basically a first round pick. And again, when when you saw some of those guys starting to fall, you're you're sitting there thing, saying, "Wow, the guy that I was and I said live on this show, and I know it was an over like it would have been a reach, but I was okay taking Andrew Booth at twelve. I didn't want to take him at twelve. I wanted to trade back and get him. That's exactly what happened. But I was okay taking him at twelve because I like him that much. So to go and get a guy like Andrew Booth." as well as a first-round safety in, in, in Lewis Seen, who I thought was top 20, top 25 prospect, you're getting two really high-quality guys for a Jamison Williams or for a Kyle Hamilton, and whoever we would have picked there. I think that's a no-brainer for me. But to your point, yes, you're, you're looking at the value you see other teams are getting for trading up or, tra- or trading down, and it didn't seem like it met that. Um, and, and I was going to ask you, do you think part of that is because we're so used to seeing teams trade up for quarterbacks that since there was it wasn't a trade up for a quarterback, the the compensation was just going to be a little less, knowing the fact that this draft was a little relatively flat after pick seven or eight? Yeah, if you take a look at, you know, PFF has actually done some pretty specific work to that, that question, um, where trade-ups for a quarterback cost significantly more than equivalent trade-up for a non-quarterback. Uh, teams seem to know, right, when somebody is trading up for a quarterback or when they're not, right? The Vikings probably intuited that the Lions were not trading up for a quarterback, and so they wouldn't be able to get more than that. Um, plus, the Lions not budging on maybe a counter offer would be an indication as well. Um, and so that certainly affects our perceptions. But, you know, you have to remember that there, we have other trades to look at, right? Um, so if you take a look at market-oriented charts, so there's there's two kinds of charts, basically, right? There's one that's that's focused on what the outcomes of those picks are. So there's the approximate value chart from uh, Chase Stewart. There's the PFF wins above replacement chart. And then there's the Spielberger chart, which is based off of contract values, the Spielberger um, uh, Fitzgerald chart. I'm, I'm sure I mispronounced Brad's last name. I'm sorry about that. But um, you know, those are, those are based off of the outcomes of those draft picks, whereas um, the Jimmy Johnson chart is just based off of, I don't know, vibes. Uh, but that was, that seemed to be what the Jimmy Johnson chart was built off of. And then, uh, the more updated chart, the Rich Hill chart, is based off of historical trade value about what teams have done historically to get to that position. And the top picks are inflated a little bit because those are quarterbacks. But if you still compare it to the two trades that occurred after the Vikings, I think one was Eagles-Ravens, which was about a you know two-pick swap plus like a bunch of late-rounders. Uh, and then the Washington trade, I think, um, where Washington ended up, I think, with Jahan Dotson. Um, 
If you take a look at those two trades, they gained value against the Rich Hill chart, where the Vikings did not. They lost value against the Rich Hill chart, right? And if you take a look at some of these historical trades, I mean, you know, when when uh, the Ravens traded, or not the Ravens, the Saints traded back up into the first round for Marcus Davenport, they gave up a first round pick, right? Now, uh, mind you, they didn't give up um, like a third round pick. Like, there's like there's some elements here that makes it a little bit different, but still, like there are opportunities here that the Vikings probably should have pursued. Um, Probably they should have traded down twice. They probably should have traded down with somebody that did not hold pick 32 or 30 or, or 28. Probably should have traded down to 16, 17, if that was possible, maybe 15. Um, and then traded back down again, and then they would have ended up with more. And so this is just a critique about what the market sh- would have been able to bear versus whether or not they improved the team. Because again, I think from an analytics perspective, it was better to pick at 32, 34, and what was it, like 66, than it was yeah. to pick at 12 and 46, right? So so that that's kind of it. And then to your point about 34 effectively being a first-round pick, um, the offer that the Vikings took from Green Bay at 34 was, from my understanding, also the offer that they got at 32 from Green Bay. So they got an identical trade package value for a first-round pick that they got, you know, a pick later because um, if uh, – you know, if if the Buccaneers, who were probably not going to pick a receiver, did end up picking a receiver, maybe Green Bay doesn't trade up there. Um, but you know, the Buccaneers picked Logan Hall, I think, right? And so that yeah. they give him an opportunity to give the Green. And Bay I hear they were like very play. interested in Scene, uh, which is why we yes. didn't budge. Well, yeah, which is why they would pick Scene before. Yes, yep. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Arif, what do you or how do you feel about you know inner? comp well interdivision trades like i mean the vikings pulled off two with detroit and green bay uh one they objectively won the other one maybe not so much um but i, I know quasi kind of talked about it as well but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on trading with with you know division foes uh honestly all i think is that you just better be right because the fact that it's in division is just a multiplier essentially for yeah. for the trade because if you win the trade, then you super win the trade because you've just made a division foe substantially worse, right? And if you lose the trade, you super lose the trade because you've made a division foe substantially better. So I don't think that there's anything about not trading within the division. I think that that is kind of coward stock, honestly. I think it's kind of like you're just afraid to give them what they want. But what if what they want hurts them? That, that happens yeah. all the time in life and in football, obviously. So give them what they yeah. want if it hurts them. And so I'm fine trading within the division. You just have to be sure that you're right because it multiplies your outcome against somebody that can kick you out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and what's interesting, I think, about that as well is, uh, to Quasi's point, hey, we got some bad dudes too out of that trade that they have to go line up against day in and day out or you know, game in and game out, uh, game out these two different games that we play against them each year. So I, I, I look at that as, you know, if you feel – you personally, and again, Quasi has to go with what he feels, not what the fans think, not what you know Rich Hill thinks, or what whatever chart it is. He's got to go off of his own intuition, his own gut. That's his job, right? And if he thinks he's winning that trade based on the based on the value he's getting back, I'm going to sit there and trust him. And if he's wrong, you know that that's just part of life, right? But uh, I, I think that trading in division, out of division, it doesn't really matter. Just get the best possible team you can base out of the picks that you think that you're, you know, the value you're going to get out of those picks. Yeah, no, I I think so. I think, I think that makes sense. It's just, I do know that like fans are going to be upset, right? Like if, if scene doesn't work out right. And Williams does, then that's a lot of egg on his face. Right. 
Um, that is, I think, a poor way to view the truth, but that's just how it works. That's how human brains work, right? Is that is that you know you don't you don't really get to evaluate process all that much. You only get to evaluate outcome. Um, well, so that's part and of it. again like, to Quasi's point, though, if we don't make that trade, they probably make the trade with whoever's sitting right behind us. Yes, I thought and that they was get them anyway, and we don't get all yeah. that value. So. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good argument that Quasi made. Um, the one thing, of course, is that um, there is always, of course, the opportunity that that um, the the person picking between, unless the Lions would pick immediately after um, the Vikings. Um, the one thing is that somebody could have picked Williams or traded back up into Williams and, and outcompeted the Lions for that spot. Because again, if the Lions have a poor offer, right, and then someone else offers the spot that the Lions are attempting to trade into right after the Vikings, then the Lions don't get that guy. So I think it's a good point. I think it's a little hand wavy. Um, but I, I still think like you should consider the impact of a divisional trade. I think that there is something to that because they're the team that can kick you out of the playoffs. And if you can make them worse, go ahead and do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that for the most part, people inflate the value of whether or not you're trading in division or out of division for sure. Well, let's let's shift back to like the specific players then associated with the picks that that we had. So, with thirty tick or thirty two, we obviously took uh, the safety Lewis scene. I think a lot of fans, when they did kind of tr- mock drafts, which it, mock drafts are mock drafts, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But when they do their mock drafts, right, they trade back, but they were probably trading to like twenty ish. Very rarely were people moving all the way back. Uh, to to the end of the first round, and I, particularly myself, but I feel like many fans as well, maybe don't know a lot about Lewis Seen, and especially with Kyle Hamilton on the board, who everyone was touting as this you know elite safety prospect, um, you know to pass up on him and move back for Lewis Seen. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see in Lewis Seen, what the Vikings see in him? Um, and maybe a little bit like of a projection of where you think he could be or grow as a player? Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things that stands out, I remember after, um, I believe it was the semifinal game uh, where, where Georgia took it to Michigan, right? It was, it was Alabama, Cincinnati, Georgia, Michigan. Um, coming out of that game, I remember someone saying that the smartest guy in that Georgia defense was Lewisine. Um, that, that he, uh, kind of helped, uh, I'm not going to say run the defense. I don't know how the defensive play calling worked there, but he made sure that that defense could focus on generating big plays on defense because he was always going to cover the back end. And he always knew everybody else's assignments that he'd be able to, uh, really truly play safety and clean up everybody else's mistakes. So he was a guy that was cleaning up mistakes while people were taking big risks and making big plays. Right. And for him to be able to do that, he had to know everybody's responsibility, not just the other defensive backs, but the linebackers, the defensive linemen. So, um, he was supposed to be this really smart guy. And then, um, the, the Vikings indicate that after they got him into the building, right. After they were able to talk to him, um, they were blown away by how intelligent he was talking about, what he was able to watch on film because they watched film with him and he was explaining what he was doing within the Georgia defense. And he was talking about stuff where, um, you know, the quarterback is giving this particular hand signal and the quarterback is giving the wrong hand signal for their offense. And he was (laughs) able to take advantage of like, that's wild to me. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so first of all, he's a really intelligent player. Then obviously you can see he's got a quick trigger. So it's not just a case of being intelligent on the whiteboard. It's a case of being able to translate that instantly into action, knowing exactly what they're going to do. And his instincts for determining whether or not a play is going to be a fake or not 
um, are really, really remarkable. Um, there's this story I remember reading, I think it's in Brian Billick's book um, about the Ravens uh, run where um, they have, uh, was it Deion Sanders? It's like a Raven for a second, I want to I say. Um, where uh, right before a play happens, Dion notices, I want to say it's Deion Sanders, uh, Dion notices that the offensive lineman has his fist on the ground as opposed to a three-point stance. And, and he's, he's like, lined up way back, right? And, and, and he shouts, run. And it is a run, right? And, and so they asked him, like, well, how'd you know? Because they've only ever passed out of that formation and situation. And he goes, oh, yeah, he, he, uh, he didn't have his fingers on the ground. He had his fist on the ground, right? It's like noticing that kind of stuff. And it feels like Lewisine might have, you know, his ability to pick up on some of those kinds of tells because he knows when a smoke screen is a fake or when it's actually he, – he triggers instantly on those kinds of things. So um, the, the instincts are, are there, it seems like, based off of film study and his ability to kind of understand what an offense is attempting to do. And then, of course, he has a remarkable range. I think he ran a four three seven or something along those lines. That shows up on film. Um, and his ability to get to anywhere on the field that a safety needs to be from his position is, is really fantastic. He adds, he adds a lot of physicality to that, an enormous amount of physicality. He loves hitting people. Um, and he's a pretty decent tackler. He leaves some tackles on the field because of how fast he flies in sometimes. But he was able to stand up Brian Robinson in multiple one-on-one situations. Brian Robinson, like he's been running over people, right? Um, he was able to stand him up, right? And he was able to bring him down despite being 200 pounds and Brian Robinson being like 211 to 220 or something like that. I forget what he was playing at, at Alabama. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he's he got a lot of physicality, a lot of speed, a lot of range, and a lot of intelligence to kind of bring all of that together. Um, and he's been able to help run one of the one of history's best defenses in college football. Yeah. So there's a lot that they they like about him. Um, they got him in the building. Of course, they're going to tell us positive things, right? Um, so you know, filter that through, right? Just filter in that they're they're trying to sell us in something. But, you know, they, they liked him even more after they got him in the building. It's definitely, um, you know, something that they're, they're really excited about. Um, and the thing that's really important is that that defense, the Vikings defense, is probably going to show um, the exact same things we saw to the Fangio defenses and the Staley defenses, which is there's going to be a lot of pre-snap too high safety looks. We don't know what it's going to look like post-snap. It could be too high. It could be one high. It could be, you know, they're doing a cover three look. They're doing a cover one look. They're doing cover four, whatever. But it's going to show up um, pre-snap as cover two, right? And so your safety must always have some sort of athletic baseline to be able to get to their spot, to be able to operate any coverage in any position within that coverage out of the same pre-snap look every time. So um, that's kind of one thing that that stands out is that he's able to do all of those things. Plus, because it's a very disguise heavy defense, um, he's able to maintain that disguise without losing position. Yeah. I just love the the ability for him to be able to play any role that you want a safety to play. I, I know that he lined up in the slot at times. It got cooked a couple different times in college, yeah. but yeah. you know, for the most part, he can line up on tight ends. He can line up on bigger slot guys, play single high. He can play, you know, a cover two and, and he can play in the box. So, you know, that, that kind of versatility reminds me of somebody else on our team, Harrison Smith. <laughs> and but except for he is quicker, he's faster than Harrison Smith is too. So I'm not saying that that's the projection or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, having two guys in the uh, on the field being able to do that is very, very valuable to your point. So very excited about yeah, the pick, they, honestly. They brought that up too, because if you're if you're out of two high coverages the whole time, you want both safeties to be able to do everything. And so that was really valuable yeah. to them. So and with Matt, with, Matt, didn't you say Bob Sanders was a comparison for you? 
You know, I am not uh, a film kind of guy, uh, and he, I, for some reason, his physicality—he's a—he's like, a bit bigger than Bob Sanders, I, but I get where you're going. Yeah, yeah. So the size is obviously the biggest, you know, difference there, right? <laughs> like Lewis seen compared to Bob Sanders, like. Scene's arms are probably as tall as Bob Sanders was, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they they both play with that physicality, and that's what mm-hmm. I noticed. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely a ways to go in my my film breakdowns, but uh, you could see what I was putting down there. Yeah, uh, for sure. Hey, I liked it with uh with Lewis Scene now being drafted. Obviously, this probably puts him into the starting role, and I know you covered it a little bit in your your recent article with the Athletic about the depth chart. So what does this do to Cam Bynum? Uh, because I think many people maybe anticipated him being the starter this coming season with some competition in the later rounds. I don't think many of us maybe anticipated a first-round safety being taken. So where, where do you th- see Cam Bynum uh, playing a role in this Vikings defense? Yeah, they actually um, brought that up kind of unprompted as well, that they were excited to be able to have Cam Bynum because they could put you know six defensive backs on the field right? And, and play a dime defense. We saw, you know, the Packers do that a little bit. Obviously the Vikings have two members of the, the Packers coordinating team on the, the Vikings defensive staff right now. And so they can implement some of those looks to be able to say, you know, Hey, our defensive backs are pretty good at, at defending the run. They're physical, like Scene and, and Smith are both very physical and they're both very comfortable defending the run. Andrew Booth, um, you know, he likes to mix it up too. So you've got some of those options there, right? Patrick Peterson doesn't really shy away. I mean, there's some years where it feels like he has been, I understand. But there's a, there's mostly with Patrick Peterson, there's there's been a willingness to kind of stick it and play against the run, including last year with the Vikings. Uh, and so um, you've got the ability to potentially defend against the run in a dime package where if they put out 12 personnel and you think one of those tight ends is not the world's greatest blocker, which in the modern NFL, pretty good chance. Um, that you've actually got, you know, a pretty decent opportunity to defend the run while being able to defend um, every blade of grass as a as a coverage um, unit. And so, um, having Cameron Bynum and Louis Seen out there, who I don't think Smith, Seen, or Bynum are very good man coverage defenders, and it's like the one weakness for Smith, right? I think that that's like the one thing he hasn't been able to do. He's like a remarkable pass rusher. He's a great box safety. He's a great free safety. All that, right? Um, I don't think any of them are particularly great in in man coverage. Maybe seen has that upside, right? Um, that you know creates a couple of issues in terms of the slot. But really, I think that when you've put putting out those three safety looks out there, a lot of what you're doing is you're creating a lot of confusion um, on on the quarterback's end, and so you just have to account for everybody. And sometimes you'll bust a coverage, and it's not going to matter because Darius Smith gets there. One of the really important things for the way that this defense operates, especially, I mean, Staley has talked about this a lot is to make the quarterback wait just a little bit longer, right? And if you've got a really good pass rush, having the quarterback wait just a tick longer is going to mean the world to the effectiveness of your defense. Um, because either, you know, they get hit, they get sacked, or um, they go immediately to the dump-off option instead of the third player in the progression, right? Because they're panicking. Uh, and and both of those, you know, outcomes are good, right? Because it prevents a big play, it creates, you know, opportunities for the defense to maybe get something back and, and all that, Right. Um, and so those three safety looks are part of that disguise. Um, plus, it gives them a lot of opportunities to change what's happening. Because if you've got two high safeties and then you've got a, a third safety in the box acting basically as a linebacker, let's say it's Harrison Smith. Um, first of all, Harrison Smith is very credible as a linebacker. I don't think anybody would be like scared of, of their own defense having Harrison Smith play linebacker for them, right? Um, and so if he's out there as a linebacker, 
and they suddenly decide, hey, we've got a run fit opportunity here. Um, he'll be able to to potentially even beat a guard to the spot and get a tackle for loss. You know, that's something that he's still very good at. Um, but if not, you know, if they try to match up a running back against Harrison Smith in coverage, you still have those opportunities. Plus, you can disguise a lot. And and to that original point, Harrison Smith, you could you could have two high safeties in Seen and Bynum, and have them both enter the box and have Harrison Smith exit as um, the cover three guy playing basically Tampa two technique, right? And that gives you a cover three look out of cover two that a quarterback is not going to be prepared for, and you create additional confusion. So those those three safety looks are going to be great for them because they can trust Bynum out there as a starting quality player and put a lot of interesting packages together that are going to confuse quarterbacks. So I think that they are excited to have an opportunity to put these guys out there, especially because like any excuse you can have to take Chandon Sullivan off the field, I'm for you're getting me excited uh, talking about the potential <laughs> of this defense, though. I got to say, um, though, I still think my concern with this defense comes. I mean, we've seen them obviously address like the back half of the secondary. Now they brought in Zadarius Smith, Harrison Phillips. Um, I still think there's probably some question marks on depth behind mm-hmm. uh, those two guys. But let's shift out to corner for a second where you mentioned Shandon Sullivan brought in from the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Patrick Peterson brought back. We still got Cam Dantzler, but then we got Andrew Booth. Uh, Ryan, uh, by the way, uh, Yinka would like you to text him back. He had to come into the comments, uh, Arif, but he he says, please text him back. <laughs> I'm never going to text him back. <laughs> uh, but but tell us a little bit about Andrew Booth, because I know for sure Ryan was a, was a big uh, stand for him on this show for a, l- a little bit here. Um, but again, a later round corner. I think people were kind of in the McDuffie, Sauce Gardner, you know, Derek Stingley Jr. wheelhouse for quite a bit of time. So tell us a little bit about Andrew Booth and then whether or not you're concerned with the cornerback depth. Yeah, um, I think at nickel, I'm concerned about the cornerback depth. I think on the outside, I am, I'm not comfortable, but I'm not concerned, right? I'm somewhere in between where it's like, I'm a little bit cautious. More than last but, year. Right, exactly. Yeah, certainly. Right. If Cam Dancer is your backup outside corner, you're probably in a better spot than a lot of teams are in terms of their backup outside corner. Um, after that, it's like Chris Boyd, and then you know it's panic mode, right? But uh, I, I think that um, you know Patrick Peterson and and Andrew Booth are, are going to be a good starting duo. I'd be very surprised if Andrew Booth doesn't win that starting job essentially right away. Um, and so uh, what you can do with that is basically anything. You've got a versatility of coverages that you can deploy, right? A lot of the Vikings blitz packages will include zone looks, right? Which puts a lot of stress in the corners because, you know, if you're blitzing and you're in zone, that's a ton of space for your players to cover. And the cornerbacks are covering, you know, the best pass catchers on the team, right? And so covering that amount of space can be pretty extraordinary. Um, And so having somebody with the range that Andrew Booth does in zone, the instinct to turn back and look for the ball, um, you know, Right when, you know, the quarterback is 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 looking for openings and stuff like that, you know, that's all great. But obviously what really works well for him here is both the technical ability that he demonstrates as well as the athleticism that he can deploy with that technical ability, right? And so one of the things that he's really good at is changing his technique to his uh, role within the defense on a particular play. Um, so when he's pressed up, he knows that he can do two things. He can be patient or he can where he can jam. And depending on what the offense is attempting to do, he'll choose a different technique in order to kind of help benefit the defensive raw. Because a lot of corners, 
they'll every single time they're lined up against a receiver, they want to punch him in the mouth. And that's admirable, right? Like that's great. That's football. But sometimes that's not exactly what you're looking for. Um, because there's going to be, you know, releases and receivers that are going to be good specifically against that or offensive de- play designs that expect you to do that. And so he can play patient when he needs to, and he does a really good job of waiting until he opens the gate, you know, which is uh, something that, that college corners are notoriously bad at. They usually swing their hips up in one direction or the other in anticipation of what the receiver is going to do. He does a great job of staying square to the line of scrimmage before he heads up. Uh, and so, uh, he can play press in multiple ways. He can play off in multiple ways. And one of the things that you don't see very often, but you do see from like the Clemson, especially the Brent Venables defense, the Clemson and Alabama defenses is a man coverage technique that allows the cornerback to trail so you can have, um, you know, the safety over top, you know, squeeze uh, and, and bracket that um, that player, or you can take away, you know, comeback routes and stuff like that. And so he's played a variety of man coverage techniques as well. And he has integrated his athleticism into his technique in a way that a lot of other cornerbacks really haven't yet, right? And that, that was actually my concern with Kyrie Elam, right, is that he hasn't really done a very good job of, of integrating all of the wonderful athletic talents that he has into smooth, fluid technique. And so he will let speedsters get away from him, where that's not really the case with Andrew Booth, where um, he knows exactly what he can do given his athletic profile. And of course, he thinks that, you know, um, he's even more athletic than the than than what he showed on film because you know he's never been healthy, which brings you to the biggest concern is that he's never been healthy. Self admittedly, you know he's never played a healthy season of football in high school or college, right? And so the concern is, you know, how injury prone can he be? Because when you list off his injuries, a lot of these things are not themselves, you know, persistent. They're not, you know, injury concerns that repeat themselves. So for example, you know, I think Dane Brugler's report listed that he had knee tendonitis throughout high school. That's true, but the specific cause of that um, was an unusual growth spurt, right? And so his tendons hadn't caught up to his bones. And so it caused a lot of pain. Um, That is not the same thing as like Brandon Roy's condition, right? That kind of knee tendonitis and that arthritic knee is a little bit different, right? That is um, persistent and apparently requires platelets to solve right um and so uh that's that's not an issue right a stinger that's a one-time injury that's not an issue right um he had uh quad injuries that prevented him from working out throughout the combine it sounds like that that is not a persistent issue right um he had a uh, sports attorney surgery it's the most common surgery i think in football and maybe even the most common uh injury in sports he had to do it twice because he had a cleanup surgery in late march early april that is pretty common, so it is not really a persistent issue. But you know, how, how many can I list before you decide? Well, I'll, hold on. <laughs> so, like that's that's the question that you're asking, right? And that's the reason yeah. that he fell out of the first round. Um, and I, I remain concerned. And there is one injury I didn't list that um, does have some long term ramifications, which is a patellar tendon tear. Um, that I think he. Uh, sustained his freshman year in college, I want to say. Um, and and that is the one that that I am most concerned about in terms of, uh, you know, kind of the long-term effects about whether or not he'll be able to, because my understanding from that research is that if you tear your patellar tendon, you've got an increased likelihood of tearing it again or having a um, compound injury somewhere else, like an ankle injury. Because um, I know that there are many athletes who have a patellar tendon tear and then later on have an ankle injury because um, the way that they've rehabbed or recovered um, favors different body movements than are efficient for them, which is the very thing that was bothering Steph Curry before a movement specialist um, forced him to to rework his entire motion, which you know has worked out for him. Uh, <laughs> I would say. Um, so uh, that good. that 
Yeah, but that's that's a laundry list of injuries, even for a football player, right? And so that that is that is the concern I have, and we'll kind of see, you know, whether or not the Vikings have that precise problem. Obviously, the trainer signed off, but they didn't sign off completely. Otherwise, they would have been comfortable drafting him round one, right? Like if they, they there was zero injury risk, why not draft him round one, right? And yeah. and they didn't, right? They 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 waited. They obviously they traded up, you know, because I think he was the last batch of of tier two corners. Um, and so they, they wanted to grab the, the guy that was falling and that was him, but you know, every team decided that even if, even if they decided that his medicals were not a significant concern, that every team decided that they were a concern. Uh, and so that's, that's the issue here is that, you know, he might persistently be injured. Uh, before, before Ryan asks you a question here, uh, did the Vikings ever replace Eric Sugarman? Like, have they made the, an official announcement on that? Because yes, yeah, I, I forget the name, but they did announce. Um, okay, uh, a different. I think it was like a week later. Yeah. Was it? Okay, yeah, I, they, I must have just missed yeah. it completely. It's it's All a sports right. science nerd, so you know. Perfect. <laughs> it's we keeping in line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I keep with the analytics. Um, yeah, well, why don't we move on to the 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 next player uh, in this lineage here from the draft? Um, obviously, it's one that none of us really are excited about, right? No one really wants to cheer on this guy, uh, Ed Ingram. You know, he had a, a kind of a shady past here. But it seems like it was something when he was 16 years old, did some very gross things um, that are pretty unbelievable. Make that clear. Uh, allegedly, yes, the charges right. were dropped, right? So, um, so on the field product, let's try to focus there just because that's all we can really do at this point in time. Right. Uh, well, one, one thing I do want to ask, and you'll probably know better than me since then, has there been any sort of off field concerns that have popped up since that time frame? Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Sure. Um, So before any of that, I'll just say it's a really important conversation to have. Um, We cannot have this conversation every single time we talk about him i would uh, direct people to the conversation i had about norse code on norse code um about my thoughts on it uh luke braun also did a really excellent job i think talking about it on his podcast locked on vikings so i'd recommend people head over there so as i move on i don't want to say that i'm ignoring it i think that it is remarkably important but um since then from my understanding i don't understand there to be any significant off-field concerns while he was at lsu uh and you know i could be wrong about that i, I could have maybe over-focused on one element of his past and under-focused on other elements of his past. But from my understanding, while he was at LSU, he was, I guess, quote-unquote, a model citizen or whatever you would consider a model citizen to be within that specific time frame of those four or five years that he was there. So my understanding is that he not only kept his nose out of trouble in that from that regard, he didn't get in trouble with the law or, or any legal activity. Um, he also, from my understanding, was a really excellent teammate to have. You know, I don't know you know, how much value that has to a lot of people given kind of uh, the, the the past that we're discussing here. But in terms of behavior, in terms of the economic calculus, which is a very cold way of looking at it, the risk factors for the Vikings of employing an asset um, 
it, it does not seem like that there is a, a repeatability element from that perspective. So um, sure. if you want to be as cold and calculating from that perspective, which I just was, um, it very much does not seem like that there is a, a, a repeated concern from an off-field perspective. Yeah, and just in discussions I've had with just other folks, um, uh, you know, people want to use the excuse, well, you, should, you know, dumb kids stuff, right? Well, I, I'm not going to give that excuse. I'm not going to allow that excuse to fly in this situation. Um, you know, dumb kids. I was stuff 16. Is, I didn't do that at 16. Yeah, it's, yeah. Dumb kids <laughs> stuff is maybe taking your parents' car out for a joyride and, and right, yeah, by the cops or something without a license or something. That's that's dumb kids stuff. This is grown yeah. adult stuff. That's pretty. This bad. is irreparable so, harm I, stuff. Yes, exactly. So. I think all of us on this show uh, and all of us at Climb in the Pocket, we're all on on board with saying, you know, we do not condone this. We are not okay with uh, with that behavior. Now, again, to your point, we can't just harp on this forever. We can't let this just completely sully uh, the, the prospect here, per se, uh, from that standpoint. So on the field product, what are we getting out of Ed Ingram? You, you said that, you know, um, in, in the in the film session you were at today, they kind of talked about how they potentially could use him in, in a favorable light. Uh, by all grades, at least, he was an excellent pass blocker um, in college football. So, uh, which is something we desperately need out of the guard spot. So, um, can he bring that to this team? Can he? Maybe he has played left guard. I think his whole career at LSU, if I'm not mistaken, he's had, he's had at least right guard PFF. Oh, okay, uh, the, the, yeah, I thought the, the, the PFF rated him all on left. Yeah, yeah, the PFF uh, uh, guide has the uh, number of snaps from each alignment, and it lists them all at left guard. I believe that is inaccurate. Um, and, and every scouting report lists them as having played right guard. And if I go into the PFF database, which I'll, I'm sure to do after the show, I'll double check. But I, I believe that he's played a significant amount of right guard. Or the Vikings mentioned that he's played right guard as well. So, um, and, and my understanding is he even started at right guard for a couple of games. So um, there is there is all of that. Um, so from a pass protection standpoint, it very much seems like he has uh, most of what he needs. Now, obviously, his grading is good, right? Um, there are elements of that that can influence things one way or the other. PFF also is a true pass set grade, which kind of controls for a lot of those factors. And yes, um, he did well as, from a true pass set perspective, too. Um, and so what I've seen from a pass protection standpoint is that he's got reasonably quick hands. Um, but I think for an NFL level guard, I would like him to be a little bit quicker in terms of the way his hands arrive at his target. Um, but he has a really powerful punch and that's primarily how he wins is that he beats people up before they can do anything about it. Um, and so the, the problem is at, um, under 315 pounds, it was like 306, something I don't remember, but at under 315 pounds, there is always an opportunity for, um, a really powerful tackle uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a 350-pound nose tackle. It could just be Aaron Donald, right? He's 280 pounds for a really powerful tackle to overwhelm him because I think that he has a lot of power, but I don't think he's got the most power or anything like that. And if you thing is to win with power, I think that there's going to be some opportunities for players, especially in the division. There's some really powerful defensive tackles in the division um, to overwhelm him. Um, so that's the one thing. And then the second thing is if there's a defensive tackle who's really good at keeping themselves clean, right, That is that is fairly quick. Um, it could be a defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid. The one I'm thinking of right now is not even in the division anymore, Kerry Hyder. But, um, you know, those kinds of guys, um, if they've got the ability to keep themselves clean, they can beat him with quickness. And so that is that is my primary concern. But I think for the most part, he does a pretty good job of stunning people in the pass protection set. 
And then once he wins that first move, he does a really good job burying them. Like that's a, it's a really effective, it's difficult for people to get second moves on him. And I think that that's translatable and that's um, a really nice on-field asset for him to have. Um, it's kind of the, the run blocking fit that is a little bit more of a concern to me, but I will say um, from pass protection standpoint, he's great from an awareness standpoint. He's really excellent. He's got really good eyes um, and he does a really good job figuring out where rush angles are coming from. And he does a really good job making sure that his assignment is taken care of before he takes on another assignment, but he always takes on another assignment if he can. And he keeps the quarterback a little bit cleaner than a lot of guards in similar situations would. There's a, there's a question in the chat. And if if you got time to sum it up in like a minute or two, can you explain the middle zone run blocking scheme? Sure. Um, If I've got it, let's see if I can do this in a minute. So the outside (laughs) zone blocking scheme has the running back run to the outside hip or the outside cheek of the uh, offensive tackle play side, um, which requires that that offensive tackle um, take that guy all the way to uh, the sideline, and then you create some kind of cutback lanes if it's possible, and if that's not possible, you go to the outside, right? The mid zone has very similar blocking from all of the other linemen except for the play side tackle where they will attempt to cap um, that player, and if that player won't be capped, if he keeps on trying to go outside, then you cut inside first. And in fact, the first read is the inside hip or the inside cheek of that offensive tackle. And so it creates um, run tackling la- uh, angles that are difficult for the defense to account for because they're so used to defending the outside zone. And so they rush to the outside, create um, a lot more opportunities uh, on the inside. Mid zone is different than inside zone, despite having a very similar name. Mid zone is actually very similar to outside zone. And then a lot of offensive line uh, coaches will actually call what the Vikings do outside zone and outside zone, wide zone and vice versa. It's very confusing terminology, but really the difference here is that the running back has a different aiming point and the offensive tackle plays it a little bit differently. He did it. He did it in a minute. That was impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sticking on the, the topic of the offensive line here for a second and going away from the draft, how do you feel about the offensive line? I know the Vikings just declined Garrett Bradbury's fifth year option. Uh, there were rumors swirling around yesterday that uh, J.C. Treader's dad wants the Vikings to sign top him. Top five, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's on the top five. Uh, and so, A, do you see the Vikings maybe going after a guy like Treader or, or someone for more competition for Bradbury this season? Um, I, yeah, I think he, so. They've got the cap space for it, right? After they sign this, yeah. uh, this draft class, they'll have the cap space for it. And that would make me feel a lot better. Um, certainly I do feel a little bit better, um, about the offensive line, um, at, at this point, right? Because first of all, the depth, I think, at, at guard is tremendous. I don't know if the starting quality is all there, but the depth is pretty tremendous, right? With both Chris Reed and Jesse Davis, um, having an opportunity to, to really show, uh, shore up what they, what they've got there. Plus you know, potentially, you know, development from like Wyatt Davis and Kyle Hinton and so on. Right. Uh, and Austin Schlotman. Um, so there, there's some really good depth there. And I think that whoever they end up rostering a guard um, is is going to end up being a much better backup guard than most of the guards who get across the NFL in the backup position. So that's great. The starting quality stuff. Um, I think that the Vikings fans are maybe a little bit too optimistic about Christian Derrissaw. That frankly, we just don't know. Right. The arrow is pointing up and that's all we have. Right. Brian O'Neill is a really high level right tackle. I like him a lot. Ezra Cleveland has demonstrated that he can play left guard really, really well. Um, and so those three spots are decided. That doesn't mean that they're good. Again, I don't know about Christian Derrissaw. I'm going to be kind of positive about him based off of what we saw at the end of the season. But 
Um, that that's kind of where we are, and I think that that's an upgrade over having say Rashad Hill at left tackle. It's an upgrade over you know twenty twenty Ezra Cleveland at left guard, or I guess he was at right guard, right? Um, you know, that's good. And I think you've probably got an upgrade at right guard for the Vikings over Oliudo, which, you know, low bar, but it's good to have. Right. And so it's really just kind of the, the center group that you're concerned about. Um, and, and I don't know that they can resolve everything in one off season, but I think that the offensive line will improve. Um, I don't know if they will be an average offensive line. I think that that would be quite optimistic, but I do think that they, um, will be floating around there, right? Maybe they'll be below average, but that's much better than what we saw last year, which last year was better than what we saw the year before, right? Which is wild. Um, so, um, which was much better than what we saw in 2014 and 2015. It's uh, baby steps from horrendous, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I think the offensive line is trending up. I just don't know if it's trending up quickly enough. Um, but I, I think that you've got, and if Ed Ingram does turn out to be as good as the Vikings think, which, you know, the Vikings thought Laquan Treadwell is good too, right? Who knows, right? But if Eddingham turns out to be as good as the Vikings think, then you've got four out of your five offensive line positions at least decided, if not resolved. And uh, that's a really good place to be. Not a lot of teams have four out of the five decided. Now, the center, so the fifth spot is a huge liability. It's not like you've got a, a replacement level player. You've got somebody who's worse than that. But, you know, and, and maybe they signed JC Treader too, in which case I'm going to be a lot happier about that offensive line. <laughs> I think all huge of us. Good. Right, yeah, everybody would, yeah. <laughs> uh ryan why don't you uh why don't you talk about your boy bring him up we'll get a Reese, yeah let's, uh, let's hear it uh, thing and then uh we'll just tap on day three and, and and give this show a wrap here yeah absolutely yeah so i was really excited about the brian Osamoa pick we we were live actually um at, at, at lake monster that day and i was talking to a couple of different uh people that had shown up for the live event and matt's texting me like 10 texts in a row like dude we got him we got him we got him and i didn't see the text and he just yells at me finally um and 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 so so we 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 uh when we landed him what we're getting out of a player here is like i said i i don't think he i he maybe has the upside to get to a eric kendricks but i don't know if he ever will because it's a high bar eric kendricks is all pro stuff but you're getting a very similar player in my opinion um where you're getting a, a guy who can read the football now he doesn't do that nearly as good as Kendricks even did coming out of uh, UCLA but he can read a play diagnose it relatively quickly and shoot the gap real quick very uh, very instinctive and and, um, you know goes from like zero to 100 really quick and and, and once he sees something that can get him in trouble I am very aware of that because if he misreads the play he's going to be very much out of position which happened a few times at Oklahoma but what? But again, what, what you're getting is a hard hitting guy, plays with a ton of effort. You get a guy who's actually very pretty solid in coverage. Which again, I know Arif, you just mentioned maybe a few more dime looks, which would take him off the field in that situation. But but you know, if you're playing it in a two linebacker set, um, whether that's uh, in a base set or in a in a nickel, um, you're going to have an opportunity to have a guy who can really cover a lot of ground and and keep up with uh, with. with tight ends and um and what and, and running back so um I, I like him a lot from that perspective again does he have some warts on his resume yes he's six foot barely and you know maybe maybe um with, with a with a, a little generous spot there um he's like 225 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah tall cleats. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's probably two twenty five, two thirty. You know, um, at, at, at weight. So again, um, sometimes he does get stuck when uh, offensive line does get on him. But you know, he's got some good moves to kind of get off of that and, and make the play. He did play a bit in the Big Twelve. So again, you're not playing against the elite of the elite, but. You know, you're going up against some pretty darn good running backs in that in that uh, in that league with Bijan Robinson, um, Deuce Vaughn, um, uh, Brees Hall, obviously. Uh, so, so you, you have some good players that he played relatively well against, which I, I like. So, and and then I just the the way he came up again, Arif. If you're not aware, I'm a huge Oklahoma fan, so I watch like all, I watch his whole career. Okay. I watch yeah. all Is those guys' career. Yet? Um, I watch I watch all those guys career and he I mean he had to sit behind Kenneth Murray and he had Mm -hmm. to play special teams and the only reason he because there was some I would say higher touted guys that were coming up in the system that he beat out once Murray left for the NFL that he was able to take the reins of that position um, and, and really take over so again I appreciate a guy who was able to really you know, pay his due, so to speak, earn his keeps on the, in, in the, uh, which he's going to have to do here on special teams, be a stand out there until you can get your opportunity, which that could come this year if he can beat out Jordan Hicks. But uh, if not, Jordan Hicks is only on a one-year deal. So it gives us some stability after he's gone. If he, if we choose to um, not resign him. So I love, I, I know you said you weren't a huge fan. So I'd love to hear some of your takes here. Um, I'm going to disagree with anything that's negative and definitely agree with that, everything positive. So for sure, for sure. Um, so the, the very first thing is you're absolutely right about his acceleration. As soon as he makes a decision, he flies, um, which is, you know, the, the Vikings were most excited about that. Um, they definitely seem as a special team says. Now, obviously you draft somebody in the third round, you expect at some point they've got the ability to contribute from scrimmage, right? Um, but they they they're over the moon about what he's got the ability to do on special teams, and so they're very excited about that. Obviously, like you mentioned, he's got that history at Oklahoma. He's not shy uh, about about playing on special teams, and they really expect him to be able to do some really good stuff on kickoff coverage. Um, so they like him. They like uh, his ability to kind of sift through the trash. You know, when there's a lot of things happening, he's got the ability to avoid blocks and find the ball carrier. He's got a really good understanding of, of the best way to do that. Um, and of course, you know, he's got. Uh, fluidity you don't often see at linebacker you know there's there's fast linebackers there's explosive linebackers there's not always linebackers that can um, continue to to move throughout all of the garbage that's happening in the middle of the field and still find enough speed and agility to get to where they need to be and so he's definitely got all of that Um, I'll say that I don't really think his eyes are all there I think that in terms of his ability to kind of find where things are going especially off the snap he needs um, a confirmation second or two um, which, you know, sometimes some really good linebackers have that issue, right? Like that's just, it, it takes them a while before they can really get going. Um, and obviously, you know, comparing him to Eric Hendricks in that regard is doing him a huge disservice. In that draft, I had Kendricks as a first round grade. Um, and it was because he was the most instinctive linebacker in that draft. I mean, it was just a remarkable ability that he had. Um, and so that's going to, it's going to take him a while to get online there. My issue is that it, his tackling angles aren't, remarkable and for somebody who plays uh at a hundred percent all the time um like you said you know he'll overrun some plays but more importantly i think at the nfl level he'll get caught up on guards he didn't get caught up on offensive linemen all that much in college um and and i think that 
um, that is not going to project very well for him. Um, in part because like, if you think about the Big 12, who has the best offensive line in the Big 12? It's always Oklahoma. Well, he doesn't have to play against Oklahoma, right? And so his ability to – Every day like, of practice. Yeah. Every day of practice. <laughs> well, I don't get to see the practice film. How is he getting off of the guards in practice, man? I don't know. Um, he, got off, he got off of Drew Samia really, really well. Oh, great. Good. That's great. That's good news. Um, but – you know, like his ability to get off of TCU offensive linemen, like good for him, right? But like, I don't know if that's if that's going to mean a lot for for his ability to to get off of you know Dallas's offensive linemen, right, or Green Bay's offensive linemen um, once they make contact with him. Because you know, I, I noticed that though he has fluidity, he sometimes doesn't have contact balance when he gets knocked around, and so um, that's going to take him off of his track too. And so in terms of his ability to meet contact, I'm a little bit concerned. And honestly, for a player with his size speed profile, I actually expected him to be better in coverage. I think that he is like, okay, in coverage. And again, undersized linebackers that are better against the run than they are against coverage are still useful. Like Telvin Smith was a really good run defender. He was an okay coverage guy. He's 215 pounds. Sometimes these things kind of surprise you and that just happens. Um, And that's kind of what I saw from him is that I thought he was better against the run. I don't know how well his ability against the run translates given my concerns about his size and ability to meet NFL linemen and so I wanted him to be better in coverage than he was I felt like again this is just kind of an instance where um, his instincts were a little bit late in terms of his ability to kind of read what was happening especially with quarterbacks um, in in zone coverage he was okay in man coverage you know I don't expect uh, the world out of linebackers in that regard Um, and and so it's fine if he's running with tight ends down the field fine whatever Uh, (laughs) yeah exactly yeah especially in college um and and so uh, I, what his skills project to, I don't like, he was really good at the stuff you needed him to do at college in terms of the stuff that you need him to do in the NFL against NFL players. I just had, you know, a, a lot of concerns. So that was kind of my issue. I th- yeah. And, and I'm not going to sit here and disagree with much of that, to be honest. Like I said, there are warts on in his game that he needs to improve on. I'm also going to blame a lot of that on uh, former Oklahoma coaching staff and specifically Alex Grinch, who really just taught speed. Like the whole motto was speed. D. Oh, so just, yeah. If, run and if they taught Kenneth Murray, how to read keys, how good would he have been? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cause again, <laughs> he's struggling, he's struggling in the NFL because of that too. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you look at even like some of the other prospects, Perry and Winfrey, you know, he, he can get to the pass. He can get to the, he can get to the quarterback with the best of them, but, he doesn't know how to play run defense, right? And that's why he slipped yeah. to the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's like you see some of these guys and you're just like, oh, if they maybe had better coaching in college from a defensive perspective, now Oklahoma guys are going to be more defensive guys are going to be the stars from there versus probably the offense given Venables is over there now. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But yeah. no, I appreciate the perspective and, and uh, keeping me level-headed here because we all know that I'm going to be up here all the time and, and with those prospects. And I still expect him to beat out uh, Jordan Hicks for that starting job. So, Jeez. Well, I, Texas, I guess. But That's <laughs> 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 so aggressive. We will find out. We will find out. I'm going to make this about Texas, Oklahoma, just because of you. I love it. it. Little brother over there. So, (laughs) oh my gosh. I mean, what what has Texas done since 2005? I get it. Nothing. They they beat us once in like they beat us once in like six years. Yeah, we'll we'll let them have it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We are. 
we are reaching uh, the end of this show here. So I'll, I'll just pose one final question to you, Arif, and then uh, and then we can call it. But when you think about the day three prospects that the Vikings kind of went after, uh, quarterback, wide receiver, they got tackled, the defensive end and running back, I think is what they went for. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any one player specifically that stood out to you or maybe the Vikings even brought up uh, in your film session with them? Uh, that fans should be maybe hopeful for, um, for for their you know potential. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring up two. I did not love the 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 running back pick. I'm a little bit skeptical of the tackle pick for Darian Lowe, but I think that um, I guess I get to be a homer for a second. I think that it says Otomewe, um, Otomewo, <laughs> sorry, um, uh, has a lot of translatable skills. I'm a little bit worried he's an older prospect without a lot of technical development, but he's at a different position coach every single year. And so maybe there's some upside there. Super athletic, crazy explosive. Um, and so I don't expect him to contribute in year one, but I think that his long-term uh, capability to play, you know, defensive end uh, in the three, four system as a, as the five tech or four tech um, is there. I like a Caleb Evans, you know, they highlighted him a little bit in the film session. Um, and I think his ability to find the ball, they put him in so many difficult situations um, in his defense. Um, and I think his ability to find the ball, despite all of that is really good. You just have to clean up the technique so you can avoid a lot of penalties. So I think both of those are, and I ended up choosing the guys that were selected earlier, rather than the guys that were selected later. But, <laughs> um, but I, I think it seems both like of those there's guys, a lot of hyper on Naylor. It seems like there's a lot of hyper on Naylor. Any, there anything is, about him that you know? Yeah. Okay. So he was really good at getting open, um, it, it deep, you know, he ran a four five. And so you didn't really, you know, see that he ran a lot faster. Um, and he does a really good job of kind of stacking, uh, in terms of once he gets deep, he kind of stays open, which is really nice. Um, plus he has a really remarkable high school career as a track athlete. And so you probably trust that more than you trust the fact that he ran a four five. So there is that, um, I'm a little bit worried just because I don't really see him winning against contact. You know, if you've got, a defensive back, like say, like Andrew Booth, that just beats him up at the line of scrimmage. I think he's just done, and he's eliminated from the play. I kind of like Amir Smith Marset from that perspective a little right. bit more. Um, but he is a little bit better of a route runner than Amir Smith Marset. I just don't know kind of what his ceiling is, other than being a speed demon. But I think that there's something there. Um, I really like what the Vikings have at kick and, and punt returner, and so I don't know that he'll be able to, to. Which is the first time I've been able to say that in a long time. Um, so I don't know that. Um, that he'll find a way to break onto the roster as a special teamer, uh, maybe as a gunner, but I don't think as a returner. Uh, and so given how much we, we like, you know, KJ Osborne and Amir Smith-Marset, I don't know where the position for him is. Maybe it is at fifth receiver um, without a, without a special teams role. I don't know. Um, but I, I like him. I just don't know if this was the team for him, if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. You know, one one common theme that really came up from this draft is we everybody is very explosive. Like at least in that you know ten yard split or what have you, yeah, seem like seen that very explosive yeah. Yeah. people, right? Like so, uh, is this just a, maybe going to be a trend just due to the analytics or due to the profile that we're looking for going forward? Uh, we'll we'll see. Obviously, I can't say for sure. I think so. I think it is. Not a mistake that you found a bunch of guys with a bunch of really great 10-yard splits. Sometimes teams will focus on that. You know, the Falcons focused on the broad jump for a while. Seattle focused on arm length for a while. The New England Patriots focused on three-cone for a while at every position. Um, And so sometimes, uh, you know, that's what you're going to find is that there's going to be a focus on a particular uh, element to see if they can generate a team around 
what that element offers. And so I, I think that probably for the next couple of years, we'll probably see something along those lines. Um, but yeah, even even people who had disappointing 40s like Jalen Naylor had really, really excellent 10 splits. And so, you know, that's something to kind of keep in mind. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, Arif, thank you so much for, for giving us uh, an hour of your time here uh, in a very busy time uh, post NFL draft. And I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff going on. So uh, before we let you go, if you just want to pump up what you're kind of working on and people can uh, check out soon. And, uh, and then also, what would you give if you had to give a grade on the NFL, the Vikings draft, what would you give them? Uh, I'd say a B. Um, okay. I just, uh, the most valuable picks were the best ones and that's a good place to be. Um, you just kind of needed to, so it, I, I think that there's no way they could get a C or lower. I just wanted them to round out the rest of the draft with a little bit more quality and talent and maybe a little bit more character. I don't know. Um, <laughs> everybody drafted in around three stellar character from what I know, but you know, we know the score. So, uh, I'd say that, um, in terms of, uh, where you can find my work, obviously on Twitter at Arivas on NFL. Uh, mostly I'm, I'm just messing around on Twitter, but I always link my work there. <laughs> um, and then uh, you can find me at uh, the athletic, the athletic.com slash author slash reef dash If you subscribe through one of my articles, I get credit for it. And I of course love money. Um, so you can do that. Um, or you can find me uh, on, uh, on podcast platforms uh, at Norse code. Um, just Norse code, just search it. That's how search functions work. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll guest on a bunch of podcasts from, from here on out. I'm sorry, you guys aren't special, but I will guest on uh, a bunch of podcasts and, and I'll, I'll post those as well. Very cool. Very cool. Well, again, thank you so much for your time this evening. Uh, Ryan, Dave, as always, thank you for those listening or watching. Um, thank you as well. And come back next Wednesday where we will have, uh, Eric eager from pro football focus on, to chat the Minnesota Vikings as well. And a week from then, Luke Inman is back. Uh, He's back on Twitter. And so Luke Inman will be back in two weeks on Vikings Happy Hour. So make sure you swing back for that episode. I I like Eric Eager a lot too, but like Luke has been gone for a while. So (laughs) I know. He hopped back on. I'm like, I got to make sure we get him booked for this show. So he graciously gave us a date and uh, we'll have him on. So Well, Luke used to do shows with you, Arif. Yeah, no, it was great. We had a lot of chemistry. Uh, a lot Those of Those post-training camp shows were fantastic. Oh, so much fun, so much fun. I got to get him back on North Coast again. We just we had him on as soon as he came back. We'll probably have him guest on a couple more times. He's so fun. Get the band back together. <laughs> um, Dave, that's all I got. So if you want to uh, give give the announcements and send us off. Tomorrow night we have Viking Hot Takes with the great Flip Mozzie and Eric Thompson of the Daily Norsemen. They're going to be asking about draft grades as well. And then Saturday you have myself and Darren Campbell, the two old bloggers, as we wrap up this week. I do want to thank Arif for joining us tonight. It's been a great show. Everybody in the comments joining from YouTube or Facebook, you all rock. What do we say? Skull Vikes. Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found. And 
to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. <laughs> 